I slow down and pull over to the side to make a quick phone call and Ian goes past me, busy showing off, doing his thing, with Barbara holding on for dear life. I take off my helmet and make the call. It rings twice, but there is silence on the other end and it goes to voicemail. Perhaps it's too early for a Saturday morning call and I'm certain that everyone is having a lion. I put my helmet back on and remember to switch off my phone. No distraction as we ride has always been our rule. When you're on two wheels, every sense is engaged 100%. And on a motorbike, one does not have the luxury of becoming absent-minded, as might be the case on a long car drive. Today, I'm on a bike and my senses are fully heightened. A few moments later, I catch up with Ian, who has pulled over to the side for a pit stop. As I slow down, he gives me the thumbs up. So I nod in acknowledgement and accelerate smoothly past him, enjoying the moment and the control of the machine beneath me. I know for a fact that it will only take a few seconds before he comes blasting past me like a bat, taunting me. But my brother Nyambe's words echo in my ear. Respect your bike and it will respect you, Mangala. And on more than two occasions, he would say to me, Always ride your own ride, Mwangala. And today, on this glory-filled day, I am doing just that. I ride my own ride, joyfully, deliberately, taking in the beautiful view of the countryside and relishing the morning breeze. I reflect on how good it is to be back home. And when I have smiled enough, squeeze the accelerator handle to increase my speed and instinctively hunch over to minimize the wind shear. A quick glance through my rear view mirror and Ian is still not within sight. So I sit up to look around the sprawling hills, winding roads, rocky cliffs and the smell of burning charcoal filling my helmet, causing me to open the visor so I can catch a breath of fresh air. I begin the descent down a long gradual hill. When I see an oncoming vehicle in the distance, I think nothing of it. As it draws closer, I push my visor down and prepare for the on-pass, but the vehicle begins to turn into my lane. Lord, why is he turning? Where is he going? What is he doing? All these racing thoughts and questions to the universe go through my mind as the oncoming vehicle is now clearly in front of me. A sudden coldness grips my whole body despite the warm sun rising and every muscle in my body screams at me to jump off my bike. But I remain frozen in the moment, knowing there is nowhere to go. I do not panic, even as I see it turn towards me. And as if life slowly turns to slow motion, I fall into a state of consciousness. My spirit leaves my body, and I see with clarity my impending demise that lies before me and I become paralyzed by fear. I close my eyes to dissociate myself from this reality, for there is no amount of training or experience that could have prepared me or prevented what was about to happen. There it was, the huge thunderous sound of screeching tires mixed with ear-splitting scream of a woman in the distance. I hear it, I do not feel it, but I hear it. The sound of colliding metal 
contact with something I cannot identify. Again, I hear it. I do not feel it. I wonder what that deafening noise is because it is unbelievably, impossibly loud. It is so loud that I can hear the crashing noise of breaking parts, but my mind still cannot relate or register it. And the tornado sweeps me up into this twisted, violent embrace, and I'm caught up in it. I'm in a tornado, turning and twisting and failing to control my arms and my legs, and I'm left in a confused state. Lord, why can't I control my arms? Lord, there are no tornadoes in Zambia. Lord, what is happening? But there it is, absolute silence. Total and absolute silence. As if the universe has whispered something to the warm African skies. The violent winds have stopped. And there I am. I'm no longer a rag doll. I'm just floating peacefully in this relaxed, almost zen-like moment of stillness. The woman's horrifying screams in the distance manage to pierce the bubble of solitude that I'm engulfed in. But I do not know why she's screaming. Lord, why is Barbara screaming? Why is she making so much noise? Why has she disturbed my sleep? And the only reply to my questions were more screams. Wake up, Mwangala. Very slowly, I open my eyes and I find myself in midair and immediately panic. The realization of my state breaks my safety net and I begin to fall. Once more, I am caught up in this tornado and my arms are swinging wildly. I begin to lose control of my twisting torso, but in that confused state, I am granted one last moment of clarity and I pray a single line. Lord, do not take me. My children still need me. And almost immediately, I hit the ground with a loud boom. Hi, my name is Mwangala Lethbridge. I am the author of a memoir called Still Standing. It is a story about resilience, about sadness. And you may wonder why I wrote this story. I wrote this story as a way of healing. It was a way in which I was trying to deal with what had just happened to me. I'm not really sure how I would describe my writing process. It was more like a journal. I was writing it because I was speaking to myself. I was trying to make sense of how my life had just changed. I dedicated this book to my sisters, Linda, Longoe, Notulu, and Priscilla. It was really, it wasn't difficult to decide who I was writing it to, or rather who I was dedicating it to. It was to these amazing women who, whose lives stopped just when mine did, because they stopped their lives to come and take care of me, to come and take care of my family, to come and just fill the gap because I was, well, life had changed, simply that. My life had changed, their lives had changed, but they didn't think twice to stop their lives to come and help me. So I dedicated that book, Still Standing, to them. When I think of someone reading my book, what does it look like? Well, probably loss of crying, loss of sadness, 
hopefully lots of laughter. I'm thinking somebody sitting there or lying there in this helpless state that I was in, and I'm hoping that this person, after all the tears, will be able to, to say, well, if she could go through that and survive it, so can I. This is what I'm thinking of. What surprised me the most when I was writing my memoir was how much I cried. I was surprised at um, two years later, everything was still raw because I only wrote the book two years later. I'd been writing it as a journal, but I finally decided to make it into a book. And each time I wrote, I just cried. And that's when I realized that you don't really get over something completely. You learn to live with it, but you don't really get over it. So the rawness of the emotion really surprised me. I decided to make it into a book because I was trying to get rid of the shame that I felt. Um, you know, we live in a society where we, perhaps people are not so sensitive towards what other people go through. And I was failing to heal because I felt such shame that suddenly from being an able-bodied person, I became a person with a disability. I was afraid to go out because I was so worried about what will people say, what will people think, uh, how do I respond? And because I was so fearful and I was carrying, I almost, you know, um, overwhelmed by, by what I was going through, I realized that the only way that I could try and live with it was to just tell the world about what had happened. I was really afraid of what people would say. They'll read the book and they'll laugh at me. But as I was writing it, I was laughing at myself and I needed to get over. There's not, I, I don't have a better word for it. I really needed to get over the shame that I felt. So I wrote it as a way of healing, as a way of coping with my disability. In the book, I mention a really close friend of mine, the late Brenda Montemba. Brenda was involved in a car accident and unfortunately she didn't survive it. And Brenda was somebody who was God-fearing, amazing, loved by everybody, and um, I didn't really, I still don't think I'm half as nice as she was. And I really questioned in that moment when she died, why she died and I survived, because I was really filled with guilt and wondered, or well, a little bit of me probably thought I should have died and she should have survived. So her mom, Hilary Fife got a copy of my book and uh, I was really concerned about how she would how she would um, feel but then after she read it she wrote this it wasn't really a um, a review it was more of a, a text that she wrote to me but I'll share it she said Mwanake Mwanake is lozy for my child 
Monake, I feel like it is I who wrote this book, even though I know that I would not be as coherent as you. I suppose God wanted me to read this book to know there is no way out of pain. One has to live through it. I'm slowly going back to friends that I wrote off due to the comments like, you're a Christian, don't mourn like that. Like what? Instead of shouting back at them, I chose to block their numbers. Hell is hell, whichever way you spell it. Thank you, my child, for the courage to write. Oh, that makes me sad still. And um, when she wrote that, I was, I'm not sure how I felt. I can't really use the word pleased. I was thankful that my story was able to help at least one person go through their own version of grief. So I was thankful for that. I really would like the reader to know that um, going through things or surviving things or seeing all this light at the end of the tunnel is really something I feel is overrated. I would like the reader to understand that depression hits you at any stage of your life. There's no such thing as being a strong person. Depression creeps in, into you. And um, we are all told the correct versions of how to deal with depression. But in my book, what I would like people who go through mental health issues, who are struggling with it, to know and understand that it's okay to take one day at a time. It's okay to know that you will have good days and bad days. I would like somebody reading this book to understand that when you've got a good day, that's really great. When you've got a bad day, it's still okay because you made it. The point is you made it. And one day at a time suddenly becomes a month, a year, it becomes whatever time. And nobody should give anybody a time frame of healing. Everybody goes through their own journey and one day at a time is more than enough. Um, Still Standing can be found on Amazon. You, um, you can also find it on the author's website. And I also have direct sales. So you can get it directly from me in Zambia. There's hard copies. There's an e-version of it. Yeah. My name is Mwangala Lethbridge. I'm the author of Still Standing. And this was Lemba, the Africana author's space.